Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am bringing you guys part two out of two when it comes to the draft lottery primer. So if you guys did not listen to the podcast I published on Wednesday morning, you guys should check that out. Covered all the basics from, you know, SGA speculation to the Valanchunas Adams trade, amongst other things, Vit Kredge, a lot of people playing at UT, and Tony Bradley as well. So it's all encompassing, but in this episode, we're going to hammer out the big deal, and that's going to be the NBA draft that we're going to see kicking off at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, so it's a little bit weird when it comes down to it. 7, that's not the worst. They might milk out some of the first couple of picks, but that's the start time, and this is the biggest day that we are going to see in Thunder. I mean, from what we've seen from the Thunder in the last year, this is by far their biggest day because nothing's really compared to this. From day one, the Thunder's roster, once they traded CP3, Gallinari walked, Adams was out the door. It's pretty obvious that they were looking to rebuild, and they hit gold with SGA. They got Lou Dort on the up and up. A lot of guys were very impressive, but even with all that, we knew that this roster was going to be one about development, and it was going to be about losing games through thick and thin. And I mean, they, you know, they were tied for the fourth worst record in the league, got picks six and 18 out of the lottery, so a really bad draw there, but still get six picks. That's the most you're going to find in this draft class. And it's going to be really eerie to just go from talking about the same prospects over and over again, day after day, literally months on end, all this offseason. We've been hammering out all these different players. Now, after 60 names are read, it's a completely different story. Now you're pivoting from NBA draft to free agency to summer league everything's just going to go spiraling out of control so this is one of those really unique weeks and because of it you got crazy sources rumors flying around but also able to bring in a lot of young talent and that's exactly what Oklahoma City needs so I'm going to be monitoring the league in this episode going to be giving you guys a thunder oriented draft board I've been hyping this up for a little bit over a week now and I'm also going to give my dream scenario for what the thunders picks would look like in this draft but I'd also give just a reasonable prediction as well on top of that but before I get into all of that I want to let you all know about the basketball podcast network the basketball podcast network brings you the listener top of the line coverage for 26 different franchises around the NBA with myself included as your host for the Oklahoma City Thunder affiliate in the Thundersticks podcast and you guys can check out this podcast as well as all the others on the Basketball Podcast Network's website. You can find that, thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, or you guys could just check out their Twitter page, at HoopsPodNet. But now, let's jump right into it, and there's a lot of stuff we need to be talking about, and it starts with monitoring the league and kind of what is to be expected. And one of the big pieces of news that we've gotten 
And this is exactly why I wanted to make this a late night recording. This is being recorded almost at like 10.30ish p.m. right now. Um, And because of that, I was able to milk out some nice stories, such as Ben Simmons being in offers. I believe the 76ers were in contact with the Spurs, and the asking price was ridiculous. Like four first-round picks, young assets, they needed a lot. This was a Harden-esque package, as some described it, and I don't know if Ben Simmons would get dealt uh, or who would be willing to cough that up given what's been going on. But also, Simmons is on a pretty sizable long-term deal, so it's not like the 76ers have a gun to their head or anything. They can play another season out. Ben Simmons clearly is a very good player. He just needs to unlock that third level, but I don't really think that does anything for the Thunder. I don't imagine the Thunder would be in play for Simmons. Now, when the rumors initially came out on him, I believe the Thunder unlike some sports betting sites, we're actually one of the like top five, top six candidates for a deal. But as it currently stands, I personally don't see it. I mean, you have SGA, who's 23. Outside of that, you don't really have any cornerstones. You bring in Ben Simmons, who, you know, he's not really going to make you any more youthful, right? Um, and he's a win now guy. So I wouldn't see it. I mean, those mock trades, sure, they look beautiful. You can give the 76ers all the picks they want. I would rule them out, though. But that's just kind of one of those those blockbusters maybe looming. And one of the main reasons why, let's say, a Simmons would be on the market right now is because of the draft picks you can get in the moment as opposed to trading for the future and having to get lucky in the lottery for example. So Simmons has been the talk of the town. Same goes with Eric Bledsoe. I talked about him in the morning podcast, but the Grizzlies now are looking to move off from him. He's got a pretty oversized contract for what he's worth, but he's still a solid contributor. I don't know if he's going to be your starting guard on a contending team, but he's definitely going to be one of your premier bench players. So he's a tier below I think what would be the biggest point guard trade commodity that will be up for grabs tonight. And that is going to be through Kemba Walker. Got Kemba, you know, a couple months ago. Maybe it wasn't even a couple months ago. Time has just been so weird with how the playoffs have been. But whenever they let go of Al Horford, Moses Brown brought in Kemba and pick number 16, Kemba's not expected to be around here. I mean, he's already 30 plus years old and he's looking to be on a contender and he can contribute. Now, you just got to find that matchmaker who can find the salary for it. And one of the main teams that have been brought up is the Dallas Mavericks. And this is rumors that you used to see way, way back. And this is just me pulling something out of who knows where, right? Like this has no substance to it. This is just those hypotheticals. If Kemba's dealt away, I mean, that Kristaps Porzingis trade would make sense because they would get another presence with the ball. But also for the Thunder, they just straight up don't have a center anymore. And I don't know if they'd be selecting any in this draft class or at least enough to fill out a full 48 on the rotation. I don't think Roby's really going to be your long-term small ball five. So... They need to patch it up. I think Porzingis for Walker is that swap that everybody has been talking about. Kind of an amp down because of um, some other players on the Thunder roster. But 
it's still something that you might want to be monitoring. Once you look past Kemba Walker, though, you look towards SGA, and he has been in the rumor mill like crazy. This was a month ago where originally he was worth just number four. Now he's not worth number three, even if you want to dice pick number six into it as well. And you're sure as hell not getting Kate Cunningham with SGA in six. And we don't know if, if those trades that have been reported have actually been sent out by Presti, but there is kind of... A general consensus forming now, though, that SGA may actually be looked at in trade packages. And this is something that's a bit weird because, for the most part, every little tidbit about SGA, about a trade, has just been completely washed to the side. Like, it's irrelevant. No matter the source, they're really not going to be credible enough. But whenever you look at you know, some of the new guys on the block reporting on SGA, in particular, Jake Fisher, who works at Bleacher Report, and he's also written a book um, based on tanking. I've seen him on a couple podcasts, I believe. But he has been reporting that he's heard that SGA, there's been a lot of chatter um, between sides. And he says he's heard it from Detroit, then Cleveland, and someone from OKC did not deny this statement, which is very weird to me. I mean, this is also one of those things where could this just be one of those mastermind smoke screens? I don't really understand the mindset of SGA and the sixth pick not being able to move up three spots in the draft. Like, I feel like SGA is already at that level where, like, clearly he's better than the top three, as is if you implement them in. But you don't know if they're going to reach what SGA is at currently, especially now at 23. I don't even think he played a game as a 23-year-old to this point in his career. So he's so damn young, and I mean, he's still considered untouchable for a reason. And this this talk about him being not even available, I think if I use that, that's some poor word choice, but just there being some chatter that might have some validity to it, I don't think it means much. I think that once you hit the war room, that's when everything matters. But I truthfully couldn't confirm that SGA has been in any single package. There's no Woj or Shams to confirm anything like that. But maybe Presti is really trying to make this a slowly battered rebuild where you don't even want a 23 year old you want straight 19 year olds to run the franchise and you want a million picks to go along with it they've already got one of those two they just don't have well actually they do have both of those there's a ton of 19 year olds but their centerpiece just so happens to be 23 which is still extremely extremely young and one of the deals that has kind of come up here and there has been Colin Sexton, actually, from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And this doesn't involve SGA, as far as I'm concerned. But we heard, I think it was from Hoops Wire, two, three weeks ago, that Sexton was being not shopped around, but there was interest from, I think, seven or eight different franchises. OKC happened to be one of them. And they're still in the running right now for Colin Sexton and a deal. And the thing with Colin Sexton is he's pretty similar to SGA in the fact that he's about to get big money. And in regards to what Colin Sexton has been doing, I mean, he believes that he deserves a maximum contract. And the numbers that he was putting up 
you know, they are really good. Averaged over 24 points a game for Cleveland last year. And then on top of all the points he ended up scoring, he had 3.1 rebounds and 4.4 assists, shooting 37% from downtown. Thing is, he's only six foot one, and as I talked about, he is going to be making a lot of money later on. So, if this report is also true, I think a pairing between Sexton and SGA would be interesting to say the least, because SGA is going to have to be your primary ball handler. He cemented that last year in his pick and roll play. Colin Sexton needs the basketball to score, and he's not as much of the passer that you would find in SGA. So I feel like Sexton would almost need to be made the sidekick, but also you need to keep in mind that since Sexton is six foot one, you don't have the defensive versatility or you know any flexibility in the rotation like Dagnall has had in the past with Maladone or Ty Jerome, for example. So you'd be strapped in, but I mean for a one and two combo that is still going to be extremely deadly for you, and I'd be assuming Colin Sexton is coming at a discount right now because they don't want to pay him. They have a nasty contract in Kevin Love that they're dealing with, and yeah, I mean, if that's the case, if they're ripping away from Sexton, who knows what their next move is going to be, but that's one of those moves I've always seen it as if the Rockets make a surprise, take Mobley or something, then you trade Sexton, pick up Jalen Green. Maybe they're like Jalen Suggs or something, a more true passing type point guard, but I don't know, man. I mean, that's just one of those points where you're going to get a lot of scoring between the two, but where else are you going to get a lot of cushion? And Sexton's only 22, by the way, so I mean, it's not like you're going to go that Ben Simmons route either. He's an interesting thought. I think that the tandem works a bit better than maybe what most would think, but I still think um, in terms of ball handling duties, that's going to be an everlasting problem really between the two. So I would probably abstain from going after Sexton. I think the more lucrative offer would be going for that number three pick that Cleveland has. And when you look at the top three, it doesn't look like there's much hope. And after the lottery, it seemed like the Thunder were still going to be able to get Kate Cunningham. Just trade eight first-round picks, including pick number six, and maybe even a guy like Baisley or something. Whatever. That should get the deal done. No questions asked. You just take on the future of a new franchise. Like They could have had all the Clippers picks, for all we know, in one of these deals. But they're still shutting them down because Pistons kind of believe that Kate is the cornerstone. And if they don't, why on earth would they be rejecting offers, especially if SGA is on the table and you need to move back five spots and you get SGA in the process of that? So they clearly like him. I mean, Jalen Green has been in the mix for a pick. I'd be pretty shocked at this point. I think that Cade and uh, Green are actually kind of neck and neck in terms of talent in this draft class. I think they're kind of 1A and 1B when you want to break things down, but yeah, I, I still think you'd probably go after Cade just because the six foot eight all around game. And I don't think Detroit is kind of in that luxurious spot where they can bring in a point guard, a true point, true two. Cade can play one through three perfectly fine. And they need that with Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, and really everything else that they have going on. So I don't think Detroit's going to move I'd want to trade for the Houston Rockets pick. I want Jalen Green so freaking bad. They can have all their picks. They can have the Clippers picks. They can have some of our young guys. I mean, they would still have a 
good young core, but it wouldn't be better than Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green or Kevin Porter Jr. and Evan Mobley. Now, if you got a three D three team trade where maybe you got the Cavs or the Raptors laced in to where the Rockets are going to be happy getting like a Suggs or a Mobley regardless, that's when you start thinking, and that's probably what Presty has thought of a couple of times because they're going to have to be crafty if they want to sneak inside their current selection right now. But I don't know. It's just so hard to envision what it would look like, especially considering what we've seen from all these latest reports on you know, GMs just simply aren't valuing these first round picks, maybe like Presty thought, or maybe the GMs do value these picks, but they're trying to wait till the very last minute, squeeze out every last 2027 20, second, and then they'll pull the trigger on what should be a treasure chest full of picks because they thunder, they can afford to give away a treasure chest. They can give away half their future in terms of draft equity, and they're still going to be better than the average team. It's ridiculous what they have going on there but I don't know I still think that the lottery gave him clearly really bad uh a really bad give there and they don't really have any more safety nets they can you know pull on I think the best package they could make obviously includes 6 16 and 18 on top of future first but realistically I think you're looking at a team like the Kings or the Hornets for a trade where you give them 16 and 18 and in return you get the Hornets 11th pick or for the Kings you get the 9th pick straight up like nothing too flashy there personally I wouldn't take either of those deals I think if you're the Thunder you just need to be making those consolidation deals where you're packaging up everything at once shipping it out and getting that one grand prize if you're not able to do that just keep all the tiny ones and keep shooting at it because this is a very stacked draft class in terms of depth. You'll probably find someone if you're just going straight off of potential the entire time. And since they have five picks within those top 36, they should be pretty good in that department if they want to play it out that way. And that's kind of going to lead me into what I'm talking about. And it's this Thunder-oriented draft board. And if you guys did not see my big board I guess you could probably call this a big board honestly but if you guys did not check out my big board highly suggest you do this was a six day trial that I did I think I was running through five a day yeah five a day for six days straight so you guys can listen to the full list there there was actually a lot of surprises and since then I've had a couple minor tweaks within the board but nothing too substantial that I need to point it out, but just know if you guys need to get some quick intel on the top 30 guys in this draft class, at least in my eyes, you guys should definitely be checking out the content from last week because we had it churning out in terms of prospect scouting. Anyways, though, still got some scouting here, and this all applies to the draft picks. So, unlike what you saw with the big board one through 30, this isn't like that. This is pick number six, and then I'll read down the list. So this isn't going to be a full first round type. This is just solely situational. So if you don't see guys like Cade or Jalen Green on the board, don't be getting all pissy at me. That was on purpose because clearly Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green, they're not falling to pick number six in a million years. If they trade up, it's a different situation, but we're talking six, 16, and 18 
right now. And when you start at six, there's three people that you need to look out for, and two of them are going to be there. And it's going to come through the two forwards and Jonathan Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, but also the new up-and-coming wing in James Booknight. He's captivated a lot of Thunder Twitter. Everybody is kind of riding the wave with Booknight. They see him as this three-level shot creator, CJ McCollum type, play him right next to SGA. You got a really formidable one and two um, situation going on, but I don't know if he's the number one guy for me. And I catch flack for it. I think if you go off of position and off of need, you probably do, do go with James Booknight. But the way that I'm evaluating probably would get me fired. And that's why I'm not a GM right now. Like, if I was playing it safe, I actually probably would go with James Booknight. Scotty Barnes is safe too, but I think Barnes has gone at five. This is really between Booknight and Kuminga. But the safe pick is Booknight. And Booknight, when you're bring, bringing him in, you're looking at a really high-scoring six-man to a borderline all-star when it comes to shooting. And he's going to be averaging probably like 20, 21 points a game in his prime. The thing is, though, his floor is high, but his ceiling, it's high as well. But I don't know how far you can push it. Like, I feel like already his floor is a high input scorer, and it just builds up. Like, he's athletic. He's got the shot. Yes. But he could just be one of those guys where he's great, but he's not going to jump that, like, star, superstar status where you're going to be able to have him in SGA as your first and second best person on a you know championship team, and you're good to go. I don't think that's book night, and maybe they're just aiming for like a third or fourth guy, but I want to aim for the heavy hitters, the guys that I think have the most upside, and out of the players remaining, Jonathan Kuminga out of the Ignite is the option. So I think on pick six, I got number one priority as Kuminga, book night, and then Scotty Barnes, who quite frankly, probably is not going to be there anyways. So don't take that one um, too literally. It's kind of just a throw in there. But with Kuminga, I mean, 6'8", 210 pounds, man, is jacked. And when he was playing for the Ignite, he was extremely good at attacking the basket. And I mean, this guy can fly. He's got the head at the rim. Off the ball, he's slicing inside. Backdoor specialist, among other things. Pretty solid at setting screens, rolling to the basket. Every minute detail, he did a pretty decent job on the offensive end. And I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was how he was able to use his elbows and just use some really solid footwork to create angles, especially when driving under the baseline. He was, you know, getting the slightest pushes or, you know, just influencing his defender one way or another, just so tinily enough that he can get his shot off the glass and it's going to go in because he is not missing a layup unless you're straight up blocking the man or he's going to get a foul too because he is very very physical he dunked on Pogosevsky actually one time but the thing with Kuminga is the interior game is probably one of the best you're going to find probably the best small forward finisher in the class actually defensively he's this ace who was able to play in spurts against guards now I think his weak point was off a step back but other than that I mean he was all right. The one through five potential is really the big deal with him, though. Can he guard every position? And then also the shot creating. 
because the mid-range, he has a really beautiful spin jumper. He has a decent handling ability, especially when it comes to moving crosses between the legs and even just the pull-up jumper. So if he's able to grow as a three-point shooter, you hit a pretty, pretty good player in Kuminga. And the sky would truthfully be the limit if he was able to be a consistent three-point shooter. And he shot below a quarter percent uh, from distance with the Ignite, shot like five a game, so he had the reps. Just gotta put it all together in a package. So I got Kuminga, it's that boomer bust though, and I totally understand why someone would go on the other side. And truthfully, whenever I do these, sometimes I talk myself out, but I have been a major fan of Jonathan Kuminga during this whole draft process. If he's available while the Thunder are picking, my mindset is not changing with him. I love him. Do I think we're going to take him? Honestly, probably not. But moving on to 16 and 18, you kind of have similar draft boards here. So I just combined it into one. And unlike six where you kind of knew and there's already so much info out there, it's a two-man race. At 16 and 18, you're so far back, you don't even know he's going to be available number one. And number two, this is a draft class, since it's so stacked, like I mentioned, there's going to be people who were projected to be second rounders flying in the mid-first round, and guys who were projected mid-first round going in the 30s. Like, that's just the nature of this, and that's definitely going to hit hard on this draft. So what I did was I compiled players by position, and when I add them all together, I got 13 different dudes. So this is a very stacked board when you go into things. But there are a group of players in here who probably aren't going to make it to these selections. So I'll tell you what my thoughts are on all these guys. But I'm just going to run right through the list. And it starts with my top point guard prospect here in Josh Giddy. I think it's nothing more than a pipe dream at this point. Like, there have been mock drafts where Giddy has fallen to 16. Now, the rumor is Memphis likes him at pick number 10. I think even if Memphis doesn't take him at 10, he'd probably be gone by 16 anyways. Like, that's way too far back for a 6'8 point forward who is lasering off some beautiful passes in the NBL last season. So, I think Josh Giddy would be gone though, but if he's here, you bring him on. I mean, you need to get those oversized guards. You already have it with Vit Pokashevsky. His three-point shot is a work in progress. That was his major uh, kind of drawback when it came down to how he actually played with the Adelaide 36ers. That's where Ferguson played, I believe. But yeah, I mean, he's a great player when it comes to passing. Defensively, he did have spurts because of his size. We'll need to work a bit on the handle, but I do think he has the seeds, especially at only 18 years old to be a pretty solid point guard who can kind of play a hybrid as a forward at times as well. But behind Giddy, I got Cam Thomas, and this is a player who I think is going to be available at 16 or 18. And I also feel like he's a guy that you need to be selecting if you're going to take Jonathan Kaminga. Now, if you go with James Booknight, you've already secured your shooting guard. And I think point guards and shooting guards alike kind of should get scrapped off the board. And I understand they need to go after potential, so maybe not. But in terms of needs, the point guard and shooting guard wouldn't be an issue if you plug Booknight in there. Because all you need is four. You have three right now with SGA, Ty, and Teo. And I guess Kenrich Williams would be your fourth, but 
he's not really that guy right now. And he might actually get traded, uh, as for all we know. So they need another guy there. And I think if they go with Kuminga, they want to shoot for the stars. They need to go with somebody who can kind of replicate a little bit of what Booknight would have brought. And that is just scoring the basketball. This is a Frank Jackson, Jordan Clarkson type of player where you plug him in off the bench and he's just going to start shooting. And he can get hot extremely fast. I've seen big boards where they have Cam Thomas ranked in the top 10. Me personally, I have him think in the late teens of my big board, but I still think it's a good value pick here. Six foot four, gonna run that point guard, potentially even slide over to the two if need be. But behind him, wrapping up the ones, I got Nashawn Bones Highland out of VCU. Draft combine stud. This man can shoot it from 30 feet, just like Cam Thomas can. And I think what he does a little bit better than Cam Thomas is when it comes to passing, because when he drives into space, or off of penetration that is, he's always looking at the corners and he's always looking behind him. He has a really good grip on dump offs and even, you know, jump passes and cross courts in there. So that's why I give him an edge over Cam Thomas in that department. I think scoring wise though, I th it's still close. Like there's not really much separation here, but Cam Thomas does have a little bit better of a mid-range game, I would say, than Bones Highland. I think he's more one of those three three-point shooters or will just drive in and make things work but he does have one of the better floaters in this draft class so he has another thing he can lean on one little minus though he's only six foot two so you better be playing this guy at point guard kind of resembles Emmanuel quickly though so that's a little bright spot for him think any of those three point guards you could bring in immediately they get minutes with the team. And for Highland and Thomas, they feel that need of a high-scoring guard that, you know, they have those. But for a guy strictly meant to be a scorer, I wouldn't say they have that right now. So they would be a good addition. Once you move to shooting guard, though, this is also this range where the two guys that I have probably will not be there and the more likely of the two is actually who I have rated higher and that's Keon Johnson out of Tennessee this is a person I've raved about when you want to look at my big board I have him I think number 10 I have him as a top 10 player and a lot of people just don't see that with him anymore before the lottery happened this was like a number six guy this was a top 10 player and I still think he could be a top 10 player there's just not the media attention that would give him those honors currently but they're not the ones making those selections so his game is kind of like what Hamanu Diallo has right now and I talked about it in my big board episode with him but when you look at Diallo he can fly slam dunk contest champion that could very well be Keon Johnson jump 48 inches on the vertical leap that was a record but yeah he can soar in for dunks when it comes to chase downs he's one of the best in the business Really springy feet means he can get rebounds on the defensive side or the offensive end of the rim. And for layups, he's able to get that hang time as well. So he's really that athletic freak. But what makes him better than Diallo is his mid-range game and actually a little bit of his dribbling. So his acceleration is wild, and that's what gives him a lot of the dunks he has. But he can also slow down and pull up on jumpers. And he also loves to spin into jumpers as well that can lead to contested shots but you know I like that he's kind of testing out that side of his game as well as like sidesteps and such once he wants to attack 
inside. So he's decorated. The big thing, just like I stated with Josh Giddy, is if that three-pointer works out in his favor, wasn't a three-point shooter with Tennessee. I don't think the system was the greatest in his defense, but he's going to need to improve there. And if he does, he's going to be damn near like Zach Levine. You better get out of your way for Keon Johnson. So his potential is the best you're going to find probably at this draft pick, honestly. And behind him, you got a guy who has a way higher floor than Keon Johnson, is definitely going to be a contributor. But even though he has that label, he's still not a lock for a top 10, and he may even slide to 16. It's Moses Moody out of Arkansas, 19-year-old, 6'5", with a 6'11 wingspan. I feel like the chances of him being at 16 are like .001 now because... You know, people are impressed with his build, but he's kind of like a Mikael Bridges where he'll just be in the corner. He doesn't need to have the basketball in his hands, but as soon as you put it in his hands, he's able to create for himself. So he's going to be one of those players that sticks around for a long time, probably as a 3 and D piece who can even work in to the mid-range as well. But on small forwards, I got a group of three here. And it's a bit interesting how I labeled these. And it's even more interesting when you want to contrast how I actually rated these prospects in my big board and how I rated them right here. And it's all due to potential. When I did my big board, I made the hot takes. I said, you know what? In this simulation, this player is not going to be good. And this player is not going to be good. You get the point. Like I was calling busts. I was calling steals. I wasn't trying to play things safe. Right here, I'm not trying to play things safe either. But in doing that, I want to be going after the guys with the highest risk and the highest reward. And to start the board is going to be Jalen Johnson out of Duke. And I had Jalen Johnson number 28 on my draft board. And now I'm kind of looking at that like, I don't know. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope I look like an idiot because if the Thunder would have him, he'd be great. Six foot eight. You could probably even vie for him being six nine. Point forward who is extremely raw. At the high school level and the college level, he kind of left early and he had a really good performance with Duke and in high school too. He was a monster. But he was able to soar in for dunks. I mean, the speed when he was handling wasn't insane per se, but. I will say the handle was better for your average small forward. So, yeah, he's really just living and dying off the point forward tag, and then he can bounce up there. Just like everybody else, though, the three-point shot will need to come in. I think he shot above 40% from downtown last year, but it's only because he didn't play a lot. I think if you would have seen him play more, those averages would have dipped back down, and you would have seen maybe more realistic representation of his game. But... I think that's exactly why you take him at 16. I mean, he has a blurry resume to where people might look at him and think Michael Porter Jr. Different situation, but people can get scared off by personality or quitting on the team, whatever it is. I mean, he definitely isn't going in this thing squeaky clean. He has blemishes that are probably written on everybody's draft board. But if he's there at 16 or 18, I think the Thunder should take him just because since he's so raw in pretty much every area, that means you can grow him out in any area. If not, you can probably just ship him off in a couple of seasons. And right after him, you kind of have his duplicate in Zaire Williams out of Stanford. 6'8", 188 pounds. He's 19. So is Jalen Johnson, by the way. But 
I had Zaire a pick below Jalen Johnson on my big board. I had him at 29, and he's just like Johnson in the fact that he's very speedy. I actually would say Williams is a lot speedier than Jalen Johnson would be, and finishing around the basket, he's good. But the big deal is how does he work in a half-court setting, and how can he shoot from distance? He wasn't shooting well for Stanford. It was abysmal from all areas. But even though it was terrible, he has first-round offers just because of the potential he has alone. So he's in the same boat as Johnson. This is a pick that the Thunder would take because you don't really have that guy at small forward that you're building. And you have Poku, but he wasn't really playing small forward last year. You want to find that true three? Zaire Williams could do that for you. And a man who will do that for you, no risk involved, is actually Trey Murphy the third, And I think he could be around at 16. I could still envision him getting sniped a little before that, though, because he still has been rising a ton. But he's a 6'9 wing, 3 and D specialist. That's what you're going to find in him. High floor, you're looking at a Robert Covington who's going to stick around for a while. But at the same time, we're looking for superstars, not super you know, bench supporting cast, right? We could still use a guy like this though, uh, most definitely. So I'd say Murphy. I mean, I had him like 15 on my board is better than those two right now, but you got to look at the upside and those two and Johnson and Williams are really hard to compete against, to be honest with you. And the two competitors at the power forward spot actually really like a lot. It starts with Isaiah Todd, who is a second round projected prospect. Now I think he's a first round lock. Where in the first round, I don't know. I think he's a 20s pick for sure. I think if the Clippers see him at 25, they'll snag him, but he is a perfect stretch four. I mean, when you look at his post game with the Ignite, beautiful, great turnaround, great face up mid range, and great job off the pick and pop, even rolling to the basket, he did a pretty solid job as well. So he was great offensively, defensively though, and on rebounds, that's kind of where he struggled at. 19 years old, so he has a lot of potential remaining and JT Thor is kind of the same also same evaluation I've seen him in the 20s a lot 23 or 24 to the Rockets seems to be kind of one of those common picks with him but six foot ten power forward out of Auburn only 19 years old and he's 203 pounds so he's pretty lean his pro day was ridiculous he was cocking back dunks doing windmills did whatever he wanted and his jumper does look pretty fluid so you're looking at him as a major project. You might need to put him in the G League at times, but this is a player that the Thunder would not want to miss on simply just due to his build. And I think on top of the 6'10 height, he's got like a 7'3 or 7'4 wingspan. So he really has it all when it comes to measurables. And guys who should have it all in measurables are at the center spot. And I have three of those prospects for you. I have a two-way tie for first, and I really can't pick between the two. It's Kai Jones and Alprin Sangoon. I think Kai Jones has a better likelihood to still be there at 16. I don't know if either of them really do, but you look at Kai Jones as a guy who's going to be a building piece, and it wasn't like he was starring in Texas. He just had moments that have given him enough attention at this point. Like, his ability to attack to the basket is clear. He's a very springy athletic big, which means in a pick-and-roll system with SGA, he'd be lovely. But the big thing is the pick-and-pop, and he shot okay at UT, 
and it looks like he's still on that trajectory so if he's going to be a decent catch and shooter that opens you up a lot and that makes his value value like um, three or four times higher probably even more than that to be quite honest with you after that though in Sengun, i mean he has more potential than jones and jackson maybe even everybody i've talked about but his footwork is wild for a 19 year old actually he's only 18 now good lord but yeah, I mean, he's great when it comes to that. Rebounding-wise, he's good, even on blocks. Big thing, though, with him is he can only score within five feet. He can't hit a jumper to save his life, so he needs to grow there. And then Isaiah Jackson rounds off the list as someone who I think is going to be at this spot. Supposed promise from the Thunder. I think it's BS now. He's also really athletic like Kai Jones. Great shot blocker. Great rebounder. The big thing, though, is that his three-point shot has just been so flaky, and it really just hasn't been there. Shot two threes throughout the collegiate season. Don't think either of them went in, but he had that mid-range game looking to improve from three. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's going to be a large sway factor into where he ends up grading. I think overall, I have him 24th on my current big board. And at 34 and 36... You got some other people. I'll get into them. But I think when you look at everything I said from 1 through 5, from 16 to 18, I mean, there's a good amount of guys who probably will be there. I think the only guys who stick out like a sore thumb are probably Keon Johnson, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy, and maybe a guy like Sangoon or something, Kai Jones, whatever. But there's definitely going to be names there. So it'll be fun to see who gets taken, and if the Thunder even opt to go this route. If they don't, I'm going to be completely puzzled as to who they selected. And maybe they wanted to select some second-round gems early, and I would not mind that at all. Isaiah Todd's the cream of the crop in the second round, at least for projecteds. I don't think he goes there, and I already talked about him, so I'll exclude him, I guess. JT Thor also talked about him. I think there's a higher likelihood he actually remains uh, up here in that second round for the Thunder to take. But when you want to look at realistic options, I think Trey Mann out of Florida is there. He slid down the board, even though he's been improving massively throughout college. And he has a really good step back jumper that can kind of torch anybody around town. So that's really what he has going for him. Also, Vren's Blindberg too. I wouldn't mind seeing him just because the frame, six foot 11 point guard, 37% from three can score with either hand on layups. I just love that fun build. I mean, we already have enough of those guys in the Thunder organization, but we might as well put him on the blue. Already 21. Just see how he does, and then maybe even work him up into the NBA. I don't know why everybody has him so low. Personally, I think he's kind of that project that you'd want to take that flyer on, though. After that, Charles Bassey is here, and Charles Bassey was one of the steals I placed for the second rounders. 31 on my big board, and he's a six foot nine power forward center out of Western Kentucky. Five star prospect for what feels like five years ago. Big thing with him is he's supposed to shoot it from downtown, and right around the basket, he has a pretty soft touch. So he's kind of just meant for offensive purposes, and I think the Thunder need to find a new pick and pop guy, and maybe Bassey will be a budget player you could find right there. But to round it out, you got Deshaun Nix out of the G League Ignite. Six foot five combo guard. Really was put in a bad situation behind Jalen Green the whole time. Like he got to play 
all of like eight minutes a game. I don't know exactly what it was, but his involvement wasn't big at all. Even with that, though, he still found ways to contribute. So I expect him to be a pretty good playmaker at the next level. Finishing wise, he's good. We'll see uh, about the rest, though. And to round it out on this little board that I have based on pick, I pick 55. I got EJ Onu. I haven't changed it at all. I just think they need a new center. If they're looking for the next Yurt 7 or Brown, this is the person you check out. 40% from downtown at the NAIA level, 4.5 blocks, and a lot of rebounds, and a lot of points going his way. So that was kind of my comprehensive big board in terms of the Thunder, but I just want to back it out to the draft itself and what a dream scenario would look like. And I already talked about it. I mean, if the Thunder can get Jalen Green, I'm happy. If they can get Evan Mobley, I'm ecstatic. The one thing that's off limits, though, is SGA. And anything besides that, you really can't get that mad because you are trying to build around SGA right now. If you move on from him, you're derailing everything that has been placed over the past year. And that is going to be really hard to kind of realign everybody on. But I don't know, man. Presti has made some moves in the past. We'll see. Uh, and we'll see if it's legitimate what uh what they're saying about Shea Gojus Alexander right now. But think any package, like I said, where there's no SGA and you're moving up, you're going to be winning in this class. As long as you're not moving up to trade for Scotty Barnes or something weird like that. Even in Jalen Suggs, maybe. But I guess Jalen Suggs might work out. Um, I don't, I'm not the craziest believer, but, you know, I, I'd still be of hope. I think he's a really good playmaker. If he works out on the off-ball game, yeah, he'd be a perfect match. But right now, I don't know. So the dream scenario would be Jalen Green at two. If not, just move into top three. That's the dream here. I'll give up assets. The guys that are in the top three are exponentially better, I'd say, right now than the guys below them. And that's not to discredit the guys four and below. I actually think that some of them have potentials that could outlast what you could see in the top three, but right now you're not going to find the same skill set, and you're not going to see the seven-foot unicorns or the six-eight demigods just lurking around your typical draft class, you know, so I think everybody might hold on to things. If that doesn't happen, I think what I would enjoy would to see Kuminga get selected at six. At 16, I always want to go for the major swings, but something here, you just got to find a young center, and here I'd say Sengun or Kai Jones, whichever one's available, really doesn't matter to me. I said I'd give preference to neither of them. I'll say Sengun for the fun of it because he's 18. Um, but after that, at 18, pick 18, I think Cam Thomas would have to be there because he got no James Book Knight. You need a plug-and-play scorer. He is going to be that for you. And at 34 and 36, these are two that truthfully probably won't happen. At least the Todd one won't. I have Todd going 34, Thor at 36. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think you would have to probably take Todd at 18. And I'd be completely fine with doing that. I really don't mind. And I actually have that as my straight-up prediction for the roster. So if I were to predict what we're going to see from the Thunder, I think at 6, it's James Booknight. There's just been way too many signs pointing his direction so far. And even though... I might not be on that same boat as everybody else with when it comes to book night. 
also gladly hop on it. I mean, I think the skill level with him is still so high, and he can reach really good levels. He just needs to get some good training, because he already does have a pretty decent palette out there, just waiting to be expanded upon. But after book night, at 16, I got Jalen Johnson here, just the highest potential small forward you have remaining at this spot. Just, you don't have anyone like that now because Kuminga wasn't there, so I thought that made sense. At 18, Isaiah Todd's the pick-and-pop guy that you've been longing for. This is a steal, even if it was considered a reach at the time of the pick. And then at 34 and 36, you just dip into the young guys. You go with Joshua Primo, the youngest player in the draft class. He could get taken before 34. At 36, though, Charles Bassey, that's a pretty good evaluation, I'd say, from a pick perspective. And he's also just there to stretch the court out. And at 55, I'd expect a Euro stash. There's reports that they're only going to use three of these picks, or that's the plan. With this five-plan structure, they're going to be teasing with the maximum of 15 roster spots, and they definitely don't want to be doing that. So maybe we do see the consolidation trades come in, and it'll just blindside us, and my board here will be completely ruined. But we're going to have to see tonight, 7 p.m., this is going to be absolutely ridiculous, and I cannot wait to witness one of the you know biggest parts we've seen from the Thunder in the last year. It's going to make a lasting impact on the franchise and all 29 other organizations. Also, be really cool to see Kate Cunningham put on a jersey. But for now, that's going to do it for the draft coverage. Maybe I'm not done for this year. We do have the draft, so it's not over yet, but wow. I mean, when I think of this, this was a long time talking about players. When I think of Mike Smits and Gavoni, for example, who just specialize in doing something like this, I don't know how they're not emotionally attached to these guys, and they probably are. They just wouldn't confess it, but for them to just go one class after the other, bang, bang, they're going to be scouting Chet Holgram probably by tomorrow, right? Like, that's just how they operate here. So, it's it's weird. I mean, right now, just thinking, we're going to know where all these guys are at, and there's no more time for imagination. It sucks on one end, but at the other end, it's time to just face it and see what Presti can do. He has a lot of ammunition in the clip. He just needs to start unloading and hope that he's able to find the target on a couple of trade packages or just finding straight up players. But other than that though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.